All right. So uh, welcome, everybody, to Private Market Insights. This is a conversation series here on Twitter Spaces designed to share tactical insight into the small business M&A process. I am Josh Levine, the co-founder and CEO of Private Market Labs. We're a new platform for small business M&A, and we use technology to bring buyers, sellers, intermediaries, and other participants together more efficiently. We've got a lot in the works for the first half of 2023, so please sign up at www.privatemarketlabs.com to make sure that you are on our bar list and you get updates. Um, here with me today is Sarah Goodman. She is the president, co-founder at uh, Eminence M&A Strategies, and she's here to talk about some of the most successful strategies buyers can employ when working with business intermediaries in the SMB space. For nearly 20 years, Sarah has worked with public and private companies in a range of leadership capacities, uh, following an, an accomplished career with a firm contracted with numerous Fortune 100 brands, Sarah got started in M&A as she launched her own successful acquisition project and is now uh, working on the sell side, um, closing buy side and sell side transactions, leveraging her own search acquisition and business ownership experience to uh, help make a lot of deals come to fruition. So uh, Sarah and I have had a number of conversations about building better relationships between buyers and business intermediaries. So I'm thrilled to have you here today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for that great introduction and thanks for having me. As you know, this is something I'm very passionate about. So uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to have this discussion. Fantastic. Um, let's, uh, let's just jump right in. So um, would love to uh, get started with uh, talking a little bit about your journey in SMB acquisition. So how did you get into the M&A advisory game and how has your view on the ETA space changed over time? So a great question. And it's a, a little bit of my, I'll, I'll have a brief origin story here. Um, so, you know, very happy about the time I spent in kind of corporate, you know, working with public and private companies. And, you know, ETA sort of hit my radar as an opportunity to, um, you know, own a business enterprise and really deploy for myself and my family, um, you know, what I had been doing on a corporate level for a, a long time. Um, at that time, I was really focused on uh, kind of maintaining my, my corporate life, uh, but also sort of, you know, doing search and a self-funded uh, search, um, you know, as a part-time or a side effort. Um, and, you know, I retained, um, you know, a buy side broker. Um, I, and also was, you know, kind of nights and weekends. And as my schedule permitted, it was, you know, employ my own search. Um, and my experience with the entire process, both, you know, generating deal flow, um, working with sell side brokers, working with my own buy side broker, you know, there was a lot really left to be desired. Um, and I saw there was a real, you know, major opportunity to, um, you know, to really change uh, the dynamic of that relationship and, and the process um, and certainly the technology that's used within that process. Um, so fast forward, you know, three plus years, um, um, my husband and I own, we, we did acquire um, a business. Uh, we are in process of another M&A uh, project ourselves. Um, and Very cool. uh, I started out kind of consulting. I had sort of strong opinions um, about, you know, what I thought this process should look like. So kind of started consulting and I really found a passion and a, um, an expertise in this area. So that's how I landed here. So um, uniquely, I feel like as both a, an actual buyer, a searcher, 
uh, you know, consultant to the industry and now an M&A advisor, um, have this kind of really interesting 360 view of the process. Excellent. Thank you so much for that uh, introduction. It's it's really fascinating because a lot of the younger generation of brokers intermediaries that I meet often started off as buyers themselves and come into this space with a viewpoint on ways to make it better. And then, you know, when I talk to them after they've been in their role for six, 12 months, three years, et cetera, uh, they will express frustration at the entrenchment of the current processes. I'm curious, you know, what your experience has been both, you know, looking at this business from the outside and then now operating in it. Your, I mean, your uh, summary there is spot on. There is a lot of entrenchment and a lot of, um, you know, and, and some really successful people and a lot of successful transactions that, you know, have been done a certain way. Um, I, I do mm-hmm. think this industry is really ripe for, you know, some more modern technology and a, a better way to optimize the process. Um, so what I, I it, it is very frustrating that it feels like so much of the success that's happening around us is from, you know, a playbook that's 20 years old. Um, but there are some bright spots, you know, I see um, this is a this isn't a shameless plug for you, I promise for the people listening. Um, <laughs> but I'm really encouraged by uh, a number of people that also see the opportunity um, to bring technology to to create resources for both buyers and sellers, um, because you know this is going to continue to happen, and I know we've been talking about it for a number of years, but there's an absolute tsunami coming of you know generational wealth and businesses that are going to transfer hands in the next you know five to ten years. You know, and I really see this as a math problem. There simply aren't enough, yep. you know, HubSpot licenses and emails, um, you know, email drip campaigns uh, to really satisfy the matchmaking and the trans- transaction expertise that needs to happen. So um, I, I empathize with people uh, that are currently searching um, and, and certainly sellers that are working um, in a system that feels a little outdated. Um, but as I said, so definitely some bright spots with some new technology and, and certainly some fresh some fresh blood entering the, the marketplace. Fantastic. Um, so uh, one piece of advice searchers often hear, and you know, when I was getting started as a searcher, I also got this advice a lot, and it is uh, build relationships with intermediaries and, and in a very broad context. And yet when I talk to buyers all the time, they say that they really struggle with this piece. So um, what are you looking for when it comes to building good relationships with buyers and how can they set themselves up for success when they reach out? So, you know, I think foundationally, um, a relationship of any kind is one that has mutual value. So I think there's an intention often with the searcher that their, their perception of value they're bringing to an intermediary, a business broker, an investment banker is that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm a willing and able buyer. Like, what more could you want? Um, so I'd, I'd like to sort of almost kind of shift that idea. Yes, um, as, a, as an intermediary, you know, as a person that represents the seller, um, I do want willing and able buyers. Um, but simply raising your hand and saying, hi, I'm here. Here's my acquisition criteria. Um, 
it's helpful. Um, it's tactical, mm-hmm. but you know, I often kind of try to, I explain my process very much with sort of a matchmaking. I'm really trying to get to understand, you know, who you are, um, where your expertise, um, lies and where I can kind of plug you into my book of business. Um, I see searchers really making mistakes by, it's almost like the the fine print at the bottom of a you know pharma ad. They're <laughs> they're sending me these you know email blasts with like, you know I have a family and two kids and you know they're I, I'm looking for one to two million dollars in EBITDA and an asset light business and I need Dallas and you know they're sort of rattling off this acquisition criteria and so I sort of invite people you know think about how you would start any other meaningful relationship in your life. You know, if you were, for those of you dating on the apps, you know, maybe it is kind of more acquisition criteria these days. Um, (laughs) But, you know, any relationship that you're going to start, you know, it really should start with actual meaningful conversation. So um, there was a great post in search funder for those of you not yet in the community, I would recommend it. It's a, it's a very collaborative and supportive um, um, online community. That's the best word for it. Um, You know, someone had recently basically wrote a very long multi-paragraph post that I agreed with, with many statements there. You've got to create, it it takes time. It takes effort. Getting a list of all the brokers across the country and blasting out your acquisition criteria, you're going to get about that in return. Um, you mm-hmm. might happen to hit somebody that's got something that's square in your acquisition criteria that's feeling lucky. But searchers I've seen be really successful. They're very persistent about getting some time to talk about the deals that I'm working on. Um, they tend to have short introductory emails, you know, not very long emails that are listing out their entire pitch deck. And, and people that follow up, you know, quite frequently um, and they follow up with really meaningful um, updates about their their search. Um, often they are asking, you know, there's a searcher just now that made a, I sent him a deal. Um, it wasn't a fit for him. And he says, but I, I just talked to another searcher. I think this would be a good fit for. Can I introduce you to him? And I said, that would be great. So yeah. thinking about how to create a little bit more of a, a true value-based relationship. And I would love to tell you there's some shortcut or some drip campaign that, you know, nurture campaign that you can plug into your system. Okay. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the foundation, right? It's the fundamentals. Um, I hope, I hope that sort of answers the question a bit. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. And I think one of the challenges, at least, you know, from, from my experience was at, I think that a lot of buyers that I talk to come with a genuine intention to build a good relationship with an intermediary. And they say, hey, like I really, I care about this. I want to do this the right way. I want to do this in a way that both builds meaningful deal flow for me and also, you know, gets this process going. I think, you know, one of the ways that our market is constructed, it's, it's designed to really reward people who do that well. And I think part of the challenge is people have trouble sort of breaking through some of the noise. Is is persistence really the best way to go? I know that that's been the method that's worked best for me when I've reached out to brokers. I've heard, hey, 
you know, we responded to you because you called me five times. And, and sometimes maybe that's, that's what you need. Is there something, some other, you know, very, maybe being very straightforward? Is there, you know, some, you know, something that's been eye catching for you in the past that really helps set that intention in a way that, that makes it feel very genuine rather than, Hey, I've sent the same email to a thousand brokers and I, I don't really care to respond to this right now. Uh, exactly. So uh, I would say persistence definitely demonstrates, um, you know, seriousness. And I'd also recommend, and I know it's challenging and it's challenging when I talk to entrepreneurs of all sorts, even business owners, um, when you cast your, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to struggle with the saying, so, um, you know, mile wide, inch deep, you know, if you're, if your yep. acquisition criteria is coast to coast and all you care about is, you know, $1 million in EBITDA for an asset like business, it's kind of hard. It's almost like too broad. Um, you know, I, I've seen this advice over and over again, but, you know, be really specific about what you're looking for, really understand and be able to sort of quickly demonstrate um, some competency in the, the area that you are seeking. And I'm, I'm a, I struggle with this a little bit because I'm, I'm almost going to kind of go against my own advice. I know there's many capable people out there, you know, success is transferable. Um, if you'd looked at my career, you know, five, six, eight years ago, you'd say, what on earth are you doing as an M&A advisor? Um, sure. So, but when you're, when your net is far too wide, when I see your email, it's, it's, it creates kind of too much work for me to think about where you might plug in. When someone says, Hey, I'm really interested in, um, you know, businesses that are service related to, to real estate and they line out some very specific types of businesses. I'm interested in environmental services. I'm interested in commercial HVAC. I'm interested in when they've got kind of a very honed in criteria that kind of tells me that they've done some, some thought behind it. They, they have a plan, they have an investment thesis um, that their lender and their capital partners are likely on board with their industry um, selection. I think that's one place to be really helpful. And then mm -hmm. I think persistent is, you know, diligent follow-up, you know, thoughtful responses, um, you know, staying at the top of my inbox, there's a searcher who emails me like religiously within the first few days of the month and asks me how my pipeline's going. Um, he asked about my, he says, Hey, how, you know, I know you showed me that trucking deal last week or last month. Um, have you had any progress on that? Right. He's, trying to develop a relationship. I, I know his motives are self-serving. I know he'd like for me to share additional deals sure. with him, but it goes so much further than, you know, sending me the same form letter over and over again. Um, it just gets lost in the noise. I would actually really, I'm very, I'm maybe atypical. I really like working with searchers. I think it's part of how we're going to solve this uh, generational wealth and um, transfer that needs to happen. But I get, you know, 40 plus of these uh, emails a week. You start to really look like everyone else when you're looking for <laughs> that kind of sort of standard, you know, one to two million dollars in EBITDA asset light, you know, um, 
So try to make yourself sound a little bit different. Um, try to focus in on a handful of brokers. Try to go a little bit deeper on what you're targeting. You know, once you do get some relationships with a broker, ask for introductions to other brokers that they feel like are strong brokers. A warm introduction is a great way to get to somebody versus, you know, kind of landing in the inbox cold. Yeah. It sounds, it's funny. It sounds almost like some of the advice that I've gotten as an, uh, as an entrepreneur uh, pitching VC or, or things like that. It's sort of stand out, provide value, um, you know, don't sound like everybody else, right? It's be persistent. It's sort of one of these kind of mantras of, of outreach in general. Um, I guess maybe one level deeper, like, are there any things that you've seen that have been kind of unique, uh, from buyers that, that have been really successful, like the best buyers that you've worked with? I, you mentioned the one that follows up and asks about your pipeline. Are there any other things that you want to highlight, um, best practices or, or examples that you really that you really thought were, were excellent. Uh, so um, those that tend to um, act, you know be more conversational and less like you know a barrage of their acquisition criteria. It sounds I know I've said it many times, but that alone typically gets my attention in a different way. Um, you know, in, in my local area, in my market, which I'm in Austin, um, with you, Josh, um, yeah. there, there are a couple of searchers here who've been like, I mean, one was like doggedly persistent about taking me to coffee or a lunch. And after about the fourth request, I kind of gave in and, and said, okay, okay, well, let's go to lunch. Let's talk about your stuff. Please bring your deck and your emails because I'm going to redline them for you. Um, please stop sending this email out. There's a reason you're not getting responses. So we had this mm. very lovely lunch. Um, he brought a Yeti cup with his logo on it. I wish that we were uh, on video <laughs> so I could show you. And he's got his logo on one side and his acquisition criteria um, on the other side. And he's followed up a couple times wow. to ask how my, he's like, Hey, how's the, how's the coffee in the new mug? You know? Um, so that, that definitely speaks to my, my, my marketing heart. Um, another searcher, um, he, he asked for the teasers on, on deals. He's part of kind of, he's made a little mini searcher. He has a little meetup group, uh, with a couple of searchers. He has this really, he had this really smart idea to find, um, other searchers, but in different industries and they're kind of, um, they've made a little cluster. And so he reaches out and asks for my updated teasers um, about once a month. And he shares it with his, his kind of searcher group. And they, sometimes they aren't quite the right fit. Um, you know, it, it's not the right businesses for them. But as a group, they always come back with like really thoughtful feedback and say, hey, we don't, you know, you said this and one guy really likes this industry, but this was kind of a turnoff for him, something you might consider adding to your teaser. You know, it was, it's, they always kind of give little bullet points and it's a cluster of about six searchers um, that are working together to source deals. And I thought that was really um, interesting. Um, another way that you can kind of get my attention is some acknowledgement of the process. And I know it's really challenging for searchers that 
this is their first acquisition, which is, you know, a large amount of the community. Um, if you've got this very perfect website with your mugshot and a nice picture of you and your family, and I just want to buy one business and I want to protect your legacy and here's my acquisition criteria and here's my business school. Um, and you've got your, your PowerPoint presentation with your advisor group. That's all swell, but you start to look really not serious when, you know, I'm asking about, you know, what lenders you might be working with or, in kind of a preliminary conversation, do you have your deal team arranged? You know, do you have an attorney that you'll be working with? You know, if you've got all your kind of marketing pieces lined out, but it's very skin deep and the first conversation we have about an actual business, you've put nothing else together to be competent and capable of closing the transaction. It's not that... I'm not going to work with you. I'm just going to tell you that a lot of intermediaries are not going to work with you. They're going to see you as someone that's going to take three or four times as much time. Yeah. And in my practice, in my business, I offer my services complimentary to buyers. I will help connect you with the right resources on your deal team if you don't have it and try to kind of coach you through the process. But I know about two other brokers that will do that. Um, and, and probably the only reason I do it is because I have that, my own experience of kind of flailing through the process on my own, <laughs> um, that I'm a little bit more compassionate. But if you aren't spending some time talking to someone like an intermediary, another searcher that has completed an acquisition, you know, someone within your network that's gone through an acquisition or the sale of a business, I'd strongly recommend that you start kind of understanding what that's like getting their experience because I'm telling you within a 10 minute conversation, I'm like, okay, I, we can do this together, but here's all the things you've got to go get and go work on and then come back to me when you've got that done because it's yeah. very common all the fun stuff, right? Your logo and your website and all that sort of stuff, people have really lined out, but they haven't gone much further than that. Yeah, so this is a great answer. And I have like three or four like branching kind of questions leading off of it. So, you know, I guess to to paraphrase a little bit, it sounds like there are, you know, sort of marketing elements and then there's sort of like the basic blocking and tackling of like knowledge of a deal and, and how the whole process works. And there, there's an element of just, if you don't understand that process very well, it becomes very challenging to close an acquisition. You're not, you're looking at that buyer as not being a, as strong of a bet. So, so my two questions are one is that sort of the reason your experience is that the buyers that maybe are a little less seasoned or they have the marketing, but they don't have necessarily a lot of the next level knowledge, they have trouble closing. Is that sort of one of the challenges? And um, let's do that question first. And I have one more after that. Yes. Right. So I think absolutely it's um, working with a, you know, an independent, especially someone at the, you know, the lower end um, of the market. It's 
their lack of sophistication in kind of understanding the process is what, you know, this is my opinion. Um, you know, my saying, Josh, opinions are like belly buttons, you know, almost everyone has one. So, you know, um, <laughs> the, my opinion is, I think that's where a lot of brokers are like, you're going to take way too much of my time. I'm, you know, some of the atrocious LOIs and materials I've received, I've had to call that person and say, listen, you know, I think you're capable. I think you're smart. I think you can do this, but I'm not going to embarrass either you or me by giving this to the seller. Let me give you some feedback. I want you to retract this LOI Mm -hmm. and I want you to try again. But most intermediaries and most brokers are not going to do that. So I think that's where we have a lot of opportunity. I think the industry at large, all of these professionals in the space, it's why I, you know, I'm very passionate about helping searchers. I help as many as I can because I think there yeah. are some great business owners out there, but they're getting lost in the mix just simply because they don't know what they don't know. And no one's taking the time to really help them you know, understand and to know what that process should look like. And so that education piece, right? So I know that we have here on SMB Twitter, we do a lot of work trying to educate and teach each other, you know, what we've all learned. And I've gotten a lot smarter on this process just from these conversations I've had from following people that have gone through acquisitions before. Are there any other things that, I mean, but that all seems very ad hoc, right? And, you know, it's really, what is your personal network? How do you develop that personal network over time? You know, Twitter is a shortcut, but you know, are there other places or things that you've seen be particularly useful in terms of helping people get educated on the process? Besides, especially if you know they don't have the luxury of meeting with a, a broker as patient or, or helpful as you are. Uh, so you know, I think that's a big part of my frustration. Um, you know, Josh, I know we've had some some lengthy conversations about this. Is yeah, that, <laughs> you know, that is it is a little bit veiled knowledge. Um, Every transaction is a little bit of a snowflake. Um, and, you know, how do we get more information and experience about that? And I really struggle with, I, I wish there was a better way than me hands-on as, a, you know, one by one. Um, I've thought a lot about, you know, in, in people who have gone through certain MBA programs, um, there's one here locally in town that is much more entrepreneurial in, in focus. When I get somebody from that school, you know, those guys have gone through several case studies and, you know, certainly they've had the advantage of that experience. But generally, even though they've learned a lot about MA, you know, particularly, you know, maybe in, in business school, it tends to be, it seems like their knowledge is a lot more in theory. And they're kind of getting sort of the the cliff notes on the transaction rather than some of the tactical how-tos. So I really wish that there was, you know, I've I've threatened to do it. I I think there's some other people out there. I know we spoke about this. There needs to be some sort of like deal camp or something where we kind of help people understand these pieces and components. There's a lot out there in Search Funder. Um, in some other online communities, Twitter, otherwise, um, that you've got to be, it's a needle in a haystack in some ways. You've got to kind of find the right thread and find the right resource and hope somebody's generous with their time. It's a little bit of an Easter egg hunt. And I, 
I really wish that we had a little bit better way to to communicate that information so that you know searchers and first time buyers you know had more resources at their disposal um you know to complete transactions more confidently yeah so i want to so w- one more piece on this front you mentioned sort of the deal team and that's something that we've thought about a lot you know at, at private market labs in particular and i'm curious you know what does that initial deal team look like and and how far along with them do you need to be so we can use lenders as an example but go from there right so in some cases you know you'll have a lender that will give a you know maybe a letter of support or something like that does that hold value to you or is it you know hey i have my attorney and my quality of earnings person already identified is that something you want to see before they engage with you on a particular deal or is that something that you know as they're reviewing a sim they should be getting that person together i think part of the challenge that buyers face in general is that there's just a lot of concurrent things you have to manage and so i'm curious you know if you have an opinion about you know order of operations totally well First of all, buying a business, there's a lot of things you have to manage. So um, right, you're not get much- <laughs> it's, a, it's a test. Yeah, um, so exactly, it's it's a test. Um, so you know, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy from me there. Um, the, there. the the second piece is um, when I see searchers trying to kind of DIY too much of the deal. You know, I make the I make mm-hmm. the comment, um, and for those who who don't know me yet. Um, I would not consider myself a stellar athlete for this joke I'm about to make, but nobody wants to watch me play tennis with Serena Williams, even though she's one of the best in the world. um, It it wouldn't be a good match. It would get zero views, you know, or, or maybe, you know, some fun gifts where people would make fun of me on the internet as she just absolutely destroys me. Um, But from my perspective, a deal is so much more functional and, um, even I would rather positive tension and, you know, a strong player on the other side um, to get a deal done than someone that's kind of winging it or trying to cut corners on legal fees and CPAs, um, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or these types of pieces. So what I really look for is somebody who has a legitimate, you know, M&A attorney. I appreciate that a lot of people are coming, you know, right out of school. Maybe their network is smaller, um, but your real estate attorney friend from college is not the person I want to work with on this transaction. Um, it's very painful for for me to have to coach both you and your attorney through typical deal points, um, and I've had to do it more times than I can count. Um, so a strong, like legitimate, you know, M&A attorney that has, you know, similar size deals under their belt is what I'd recommend, you know, going and getting some big high powered attorney for a, you know, $5 million transaction, you're probably going to overpay and they're going to try to craft a one-sided deal that's never going to get signed. You know, yeah, they'll redline your NDA and then yeah. the buyer will be confused what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, you know, the um, on the on the converse. Right. When you have kind of an unsophisticated attorney, um, that's maybe very good with entity documents and real estate or leases or whatever their competency area might be. Um, it's interesting to watch kind of attorneys not really in the zone 
kind of get circles run around them on kind of reps and warranties and, and some other issues. So, you know, an appropriate M&A attorney is somebody I really recommend first and foremost. If you're planning, if you tell me, oh, no, you know, finance is my thing. I've been working in fintech for the past five years. And you're not planning to have somebody, um, you know, a strong CPA or a Q of E. Um, there's several folks out there that do, you know, Q of E, Q of E light, you know, very cost effectively. If you're really not willing to bring that that due diligence partner in, that causes me con- some some concern. Um, mm-hmm. And then the third person I really like for for people to kind of have is, it, especially if you're a first time business buyer, who who is going to be on your team post close? If you're part of some of these groups that have these advisors that are working with maybe you know forty or fifty searchers. That's not who I'm talking about. You know, a strong advisor, you know, maybe you're going to get a business coach, you know, maybe you're going to, you've got a strong CFO that you're going to bring on board with you. I try to kind of look, especially now in this interest rate environment, more and more, we're seeing seller carry, we're seeing, you know, larger seller notes. It's a risk for me when you're going to, when you're trying to buy the business, it's a risk for my seller when you're putting forward significant carry and seller note, you're unwilling to pay for a CPA or a Q of E and you're planning to DIY this whole thing yourself. That's, you know, all the red flag emojis. That to me looks like somebody that's setting themselves up for failure and more that I don't want you to fail my seller. Who's my client, you know, I'm not in this world to just get somebody to pay the check at close. I, I, I want you to be successful. And when you don't have the right resources around you at this stage, it gives me very serious pause about, uh, you know, allowing the transaction to proceed. Yeah. It sounds like there are sort of places to invest where a failure to invest might be indicative of, a lack of understanding of what it takes to run a business. And so I guess what I'm sort of thinking about, you know, going forward is trying to put together, you know, what are the, what are the resources that people need to have? What do they need to know? And I think your, your comment about, you know, a deal camp, I think is, is a really good one. Um, moving on to sort of one more topic and then we'll open it up to convers to uh, questions from the audience. Um, you know, you and Mark started Eminence M&A strategies relatively recently um, what are some of the you know misconceptions people have about uh, business advisory that you're pushing back against? And um, what are the things you're seeing uh, in your own space uh, as you evolve and as you try to push the envelope uh, for, for the work that you're doing in your new firm? So three areas. I, I just had this conversation, so I'm pretty warm on this topic. But but one, I'm I'm really inviting my peers to... Uh, think about the ETA and the you know entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, to think about the ETA um, and the the searcher and the kind of first time. Even if you're a current business operator and you built your business from the ground up, and now you're going to make your you know first strategic acquisition. You know I'm trying to to exercise leadership in you know I, we've all got to work together. You know rising tides raise all boats. Um, that's something that, you know, I talk to people about my work with searchers and they, they literally say, well, 
you know, talk to me in a year when you're done wasting your time. You know, there's definitely a very negative perception. I just saw a searcher that I follow in one of the communities um, show a listing that said no search funds, no independence. Um, yeah. So I think, unfortunately, that's a, a prevailing um, notion. And I, you know, I push on back on that um, pretty fervently and I try to really cheerlead um, and share yeah. in my own community deals that have been done successfully with searchers. Um, the other big piece that's very frustrating is the technology in this space is mm -hmm. very outdated. A lot of the, you know, the process is very outdated. I think the industry is absolutely ripe for some disruption with technology. There is so much that is very manual and tactical um, in my world. And, and I know from my own search and all of the different conversations I've had with people about you know, how to more effectively manage their time, it absolutely feels like there's an incredible need for some of the technology that's been you know, prevalent in other areas, you know, e-commerce, ad, marketing. You know, how do we take what we've learned in those industries um, to be more effective and really apply it across the board in, in our industry? You know, I'm so like, very hopeful. Oh, go ahead, sir. I'm very hopeful that um, as we see, you know, Gen Z, you know, millennials, um, generations further down the line, I'm hoping they're going to sort of insist um, that my group be better and be more technically sound and that we're going to we're going to be able to see some big changes there. Are there pieces of the process that you think would be good for automation? You know, so obviously some of these pieces are, you know, this these relationships can, there's a lot of interpersonal nature uh, for a small business acquisition. It's kind of an inter interpersonal transaction. And you mentioned this at the top of the conversation. What are a couple of things you would automate if you could? Things that I would automate, um, you know, early on, I feel like we do a lot of dancing around, you know, like you show me mine. If, you know, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> right. You know, if there was some... I'd really love that when people kind of get to me that we could really just talk about the deal rather than this sort of awkward dance we have to do around your financials. I don't want to, I don't really want to see your bank statements any more than you want to show them to me, but there's so many people that land in my inbox that I, I don't know who is putting out this message that you can buy five, $10 million businesses with like no money and no assets, but um, I disagree with those people because, you know, you, you really can't. So um, I, I wish there was some way to better automate and kind of that whole awkward, you know, confidentiality, cr credentialing and sort of qualifying. I would really like to see that get a little bit more automated. I love a more sophisticated way. Um, I really built my own CRM because I could find none that were adequate for the way that I wanted to really um, track and understand the buyers in my network. Um, it's still not perfect because I'm using a commercially available solution. Um, but I, I wish that there was a, a more sophisticated way to really capture what people are truly looking for so that when I have a deal, I have a much better way to, to, to do that matchmaking. Right now, I'm really reliant mm -hmm. on my notes and my own system. And unfortunately, my memory um, and my time to take all those sort of tedious notes. And I, I really wish there was a more 
sophisticated way to do that other than, you know, the typical buyer registration form, like check off these bucket industries and price bracket. You know, it seems like there should be a better way uh, to manage that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, let's uh, open this up to the audience. Are there any questions out there from uh, the people listening? Just uh, raise your hand and I'll, uh, I'll open it up and I'll let you uh, speak. So I, I can do that from here. So as we as we wait to see, uh, you know, to get a couple of questions, I was wondering if you had any, you know, uh, lessons learned from recent deals that we could pass on. So anything where, you know, something went kind of sideways, and you, you know, you or you any with any, uh, a situation where things were maybe a little bit um, unconventional that you had to work your way through, or, or just something that our, our audience could take away as they prepare for their own acquisitions. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm happy to enlighten you with some recent horror stories. Um, um... <laughs> you said, <laughs> I was trying, I was trying not to say horror stories, but I, uh, I, I'm always happy to hear uh, horror stories. Yeah. So it was absolutely heartbreaking at the end of the year. I had a searcher I was working with on a, a fairly sizable transaction and you know he didn't he didn't do anything wrong um there's absolutely some fraud involved but um this searcher had a debt and equity partner um that basically had you know guaranteed you know and provided commitments um you know there was multiple attorneys sophisticated attorneys on the both sides of the transaction and this debt and equity partner um was not legitimate and, you know, never transferred funds. Um, so it caused a lot of, a lot of loss and pain and heartache um, for that searcher. So if you are um, out there with kind of private, you know, debt and equity, um, you know, make sure that they're depositing funds, you know, well in advance of your um, transaction close date, you know, really vet and validate these private partners. Um, just yesterday, another on another deal, a searcher had brought forward, uh, I'll call it a debt arrangement. And when he kind of sent everything over to me, I, you know, I called him and said, listen, you know, I'm not your parent. I'm not your advisor. I don't represent you. But something about this doesn't sniff out, you know, and I think, you know, please phone a friend. If you don't have one, I'll, you know, recommend one for you. But this doesn't look legitimate. And it was kind of a sharky um, kind of financing arrangement. And, you know, that there are people out there that are, that are trying to take advantage of you. Um, somebody's asking you for really large upfront fees in order to arrange capital for you. You know, I'm not saying there aren't people out there that are legitimate or that it might be a good fit for you, but, but be wary of anybody who's asking you to pay a large sum, you know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 up front, approach that with a really healthy dose of skepticism because there, there are a lot of much more legitimate sources of capital out there. And that's very scammy. Um, another sort of horror story. Um, and, and we're working through it. But, you know, all along with this kind of transaction, this has been going on for a few months now as we've been kind of working through various pieces. I was 
they had someone who was kind of doing that. They kind of checked off on the financial due diligence, but they were working with a really unsophisticated attorney. Um, Hmm. I warned them several times that they should get a different attorney um, and they did not have a CPA um, review their acquisition structure. You know, I was as, as, protective of my client as I, I could be and, and still feel like I was being a, a morally um, upright human being. But basically, you know, a week after the transaction closed, um, the buyer called me in a panic um, saying, my CPA says, I, you know, I just cost myself, you know, all this money and taxes and what can we do? And we have to, and I was like, we can't, you know, like, Babe, you bought it. It's closed. I, 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 as admirably as I could, I tried to remind you on several occasions, but, you know, his attorney, you know, really did not do much service for him in the, um, in the definitive agreement. And he did, he cost himself probably over the next, you know, 10 to 12 years, he's going to cost himself somewhere, you know, he's, potentially going to lose somewhere between six and $8 million in tax write-offs. Um, so, wow. you know, yeah. I can't negotiate against my client, right? Like I have a, right. a duty to, to, you know, get the best possible and the fairest deal possible for my seller. But these are the kind of like penny wise pound foolish decisions that I, that I see made. Um, so don't skimp yeah. on your Q of E don't skimp on your um, attorney. And do not wait until the last minute to have a discussion around kind of tax and entity structuring um, with your CPA. Yep, uh, that's that's all excellent advice. I, I feel for for these searchers. Um, we do have a question from uh, SMB Capital, so uh, please go ahead. Oh, you're connecting. One second here. Yeah, once you unmute. Yeah. Oh, um, all right. Hi, uh, this is SMB Capital. Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, Sarah, but in terms of the macro landscape and what you're seeing on your side, you mentioned something regarding sellers are tending to take larger carries. Can you expand on that a little bit on what you're seeing from, uh, I guess, norm coming back to normalized valuations off of 2021 and beginning of 2022, what you're seeing there? Yeah, so um, you've asked kind of a two-part question, and um, I'm trying to be brief, Josh. I really am. Um, so No, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, so from a valuation perspective, uh, you know, high-quality deals, you know, um, transact, you know, businesses where they're operating in, let's say, the top 10th, you know, percentile of their industry, we're actually seeing um, multiples, you know, in really in valuations kind of hold, um, mostly because we're having sort of a strange kind of supply and demand environment where um, really quality offerings seem to have kind of dwindled. There's still a lot of activity in the market, um, but those kind of true gems, they're still trading pretty high. Now, you know, everything you know below that kind of top, you know, quartile, I'll say, um, we have seen kind of valuations sort of um, level out. And especially as, you know, typically there's a number of different ways you can value a business. Um, you know, a lot of times people are taking a, you know, a, a blend off of EBITDA over a number of years, um, you know, discounted cash flow, you know, 
some businesses and asset valuation or some blend of the three of those. Um, but valuations are, are starting to be a little bit more reasonable um, because kind of all of those factors, you know, sort of rightly take into consideration um, the kind of current economic environment. So um, the bottom 75%, we are seeing valuations come down. Now, what we are seeing, too, in this kind of rising interest rate environment when, you know, cash was free and available and, you know, banks were willing to lever up, you know, pretty high, um, you, you didn't see a lot of seller financing because, one, you know, a lot of times buyers want to have, you know, they want to, you know, move forward. They don't want a lot of tie or obligation. Sellers don't want a lot of tie or obligation, you know, post-transaction, especially in the kind of private, lower mid-market space, you know, sellers are most, you know, I think, Josh, you just posted some statistics that I won't try to um, recall from memory, um, but, you know, sellers are more than more than ever seeking a full exit. Um, so when we see interest rates, I think I saw some SBA quotes recently that were, it's been a few weeks, but I saw SBA at, you know, nine and a quarter, nine and a half, you know, maybe 9.75 is kind of the um, prime keeps kind of ticking up. You know, all of a sudden when, when we're talking about seller financing in the past and, you know, market was four and a half, you know, that's a lot of that's, that's risk for not very much return. Now we're talking seven, eight, nine, you know, 10% interest, you know, that can kind of help bridge um, a delta in what they were kind of ultimately wanting to put in their pocket. And certainly, um, you know, seller notes, installment sales, you know, represent tax benefits for a seller as well. Um, furthermore, especially as, you know, maybe people who have been trying to sell their business um, for, let's say, the past 12 months, They've still got that number in their mind. Um, I, I went to a talk recently and they kind of talked about it like, you know, Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. It's like, you know, he's run off the cliff and there's no ground below him, but he's still hovering there in the air. Um, you know, seller notes and seller carry can be um, a, a nice way to sort of put a little bit of cliff under Wiley, um, you know, as we kind of respond to sort of this sort of interesting interest rate you know, economic condition environment. Did that, did that yeah. hopefully answer your question? Yeah, I think that's, that's a good, uh, very good answer. And I think what you said on sellers have that number in their head, I'm, I'm definitely coming across that as well. And you just got to kind of ask, you know, when, when does that change? Right. I mean, there's, there's not many, there's not much logic sometimes, as you probably know that you can, portray or display to these individuals to get that number out of their head but you know I guess at one point you say all right they're going to start shifting their mindset a little bit I don't know if that needs enough means another interest rates you know between 12 and 15 percent or you know what is that ultimate catalyst where fear really gets struck into to the overall market I guess is the question well, you know, a couple of places. I mean, I don't know if I'll, 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 I'll follow this up and then I don't know if we have any other questions. But um, when you said, you know, how, how do you kind of get through to that seller, right? So a lot of time, an exercise that I do with my sellers very early on is we talk about what the finish line really looks like. Um, I try to really understand and often, you know, sellers are seeking retirement, but they've been really busy for the past 15 to 20 years building their business 
they maybe haven't had time to, you know, spend a lot of time with a, you know, wealth manager, a financial planner, or um, they may not actually know the number that they need to retire. So something that we do is we spend a lot of time up front thinking like, like what, what does success look like for you? Um, and often I'm able to help. Um, deal structuring can go a long way. It's an undervalued skill, in my opinion, on both sides of the table. But often um, with, you know, a willing um, open-minded buyer and a willing open-minded seller, a lot of times there is actually a way for us to have our cake and eat it too. There's a number of ways. And I, I try to kind of tell, you know, a sort of um, brass tacks conversation I'll have with sellers is, are you really fixated on the top line number? Or are you really worried about your bottom line number? If I get you ultimately to your bottom line number of what we, where we thought we would be, why do you care what the top line number is? Why do you care if we're selling for, you know, 3.8 versus 4.5? Right. If ultimately what goes in your pocket is the number that we were planning on, who cares? You know, and so sometimes we have to kind of do that exercise. There's a lot of identity um, really tied for these founders and owners in their business. You know, a, a line I say often. Sometimes these people, you know, sometimes it's a husband and wife, maybe it's a, some siblings they've maybe missed out on a lot in their family. They've missed their kids' baseball games. You know, they've missed opportunities with friends or, or, or whatever might have gone on in their life. They've made a lot of sacrifice for this business. And so you have to be really careful when you're, when you're talking about what the return on that investment's going to be. But there is a way to, you know, often now, if somebody's business is worth $4 million and they want 10, well, that's a, that's a different animal and it happens every now and then. But, Generally, if you can find a way to to get to a safe middle ground for both parties, I mean, it can be done. Fantastic! Thank you so much. I we're running a little short on time. I usually try to keep these not uh, you know at the hour mark, but um, let's definitely take uh, Nitin's question, and um, we'll uh, unfortunately we make up. that the last one. Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Nitin, uh, Nitin, I hope I said that correctly. Uh, you're now free to ask. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks a lot, Josh and Sarah. Uh, so just a matter of quick introduction. So I'm a new searcher in Canada, and I'm just uh, in the process of uh, raising my search capital. So just a quick question on engaging with uh, brokers. So what, what would be a good advice for me to start engaging with brokers? I mean, should I start right now or should I wait till my search fund is all, uh, I mean, at least I have the committed capital and have a bunch of, uh, or I have like a clear idea when the search fund is going to be put in place. So great question. And I think you're kind of asking a little of a, a order of operations. Question. So sure. I will say that the, um, I spend a fair amount of time in, um, in Canada. I, um, Vancouver has a very special place in my heart, and I've, I've learned a lot about the difference in kind of banking and financial um, products in Canada. So um, don't get me lying. I know a little bit about, about real estate in, in your market, um, but what I would recommend is um, some of what we talked about previously is 
I think you can start engaging and identifying the brokers that you might, you know, need to in that have either they're in your geographic area that you'd like to acquire. Um, you know, they tend to represent, you know, they have a certain niche of businesses that you're interested in. You know, there are brokers that are sort of business service specific or, you know, manufacturing specific. Um, I think identifying those where I would, you know, potentially spend my effort would be, you know, starting to kind of look at deals, you know, um, you know, see deals on Axial or, um, you know, some of these other marketplaces where you can just kind of start to familiarize with what's out in the market. Um, look at brokers that are kind of handling the types of deals that you would be interested in crafting your deal team, you know, getting those right resources around yourself, you know, getting your fund support letter, all of that, as, as Josh said, is, is, is quite a bit of work and in, in really doing the industry research and developing your materials to illustrate your expertise in that industry. That's where I would really spend my effort up front so that when you're ready, you've got all of that in place. You've got some exposure to some deals in your in your space. You know what kind of kind of what's out there. You're going to be really um, well educated. You're going to have the right team around you. You're going to have the financial support you need. And that's when you get to someone like me. We're going to take you seriously, and, you know, and kind of understand that you know you are and both a willing and an able buyer that you are able to to complete a transaction. I hope that advice was helpful. Absolutely. And, and just to, to add on to that, Sarah, one thing that we're particularly interested in at Private Market Labs is trying to get a better sense from the data of the kinds of businesses, uh, business intermediaries uh, tend to represent. So, you know, maybe I'll talk to a broker and they'll say, oh, I'm a generalist, I'll cover anything, but then 70% of their deals are landscaping or construction or trucking routes. And we can we're looking at ways to identify those patterns and recommend brokers to people. So hopefully identifying the right brokers to talk to will be something that is going to be easier uh, sooner rather than later as we continue to get stuff up and running. Understood. Thank you. And if so, there's, um, hopefully you guys have, you have my, my Twitter, you should be able to find me fairly easily on, you know, LinkedIn. Um, I'm always happy to answer questions if you know, there's something you weren't um, bold enough to ask on the on the call here. Certainly feel free to reach out and would be happy to help uh, anybody that's considering um, entering this this fun world of M&A. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being such a uh, such a great service to all of us in the uh, M&A space. Uh, whether we're um, seasoned veterans or, or just getting started, you know, really appreciate your role that you're playing in this. And um, thank you so much for, for being our guest today. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, I'm super excited to see what you accomplish. And I've got a, a look at all the faces here on, the, on my phone. And I wish you all the best of luck, whatever you're pursuing. Um, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, everybody. Um, we're going to call that a wrap. Please uh, check out the episode on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, YouTube. As soon as we get it up, um, I'll tweet about it. And um, looking forward to the next one. Have a good day. Thanks, guys.